0: This season of What She Did Next is brought to you by Women's Agenda, a daily news publication for women.
1: I think in social enterprise you really are putting social and environmental outcomes on par with, if not ahead of, financial outcomes, and it's a completely different mindset and one that I think needs to be adopted more broadly and is being adopted more broadly.
0: Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe. And I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. When it comes to having an impact on the world, we can do it in ways big and small. And making change in your own corner of the globe is a pretty great place to start. My guest today is Kylie Flament, and she's the General Manager of Green Connect an award-winning social enterprise that does incredible work helping young people and former refugees into employment, while leading the way in growing fair food and diverting waste from landfill. These days, Kylie loves nothing more than spending time on the Green Connect farm, on the outskirts of Wollongong in New South Wales, or utilising her impressive array of skills to generate funds and interest in their work. But when the job was first offered, Kylie nearly didn't say yes. Worried that after her big city roles in the corporate and government sectors, it might be a step backward. Or worse, she might be bored. Three years on, she's discovered that to be far from the reality. And inspired by the ripple effect of Green Connect's work in the local community, she's become a fierce advocate for the power of social enterprise to create positive change for people and the planet. I spoke to Kylie about making the leap to the not-for-profit sector, what being a social enterprise actually means, the hardest and most rewarding aspects of her work, and why she's happy to let the Greta Thunbergs of the world do their thing while she does hers. Her drive to make a difference is truly inspiring, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kylie Flament. So Kylie, I'm very keen to talk about your work with Green Connect, but can you start by telling us a bit about your background and what life as a kid looked like for you? Sure. So um,
1: I grew up in New Zealand, born and bred. I grew up on a farm with my sister, my parents, and we had lambs and cows and chickens and cats. And my primary school was a little country school just across the back fence, so we used to jump over the fence to get to school, which is handy. Growing up, I was a pretty high achiever academically, useless at sport and art, um, <laughs> but pretty good at, at book stuff and um, tended to take leadership roles in things like school councils and organising stuff and shocked all my teachers by not wanting to become a lawyer or a doctor at the end of my schooling and kind of went through that moment that so many young people go through where they're trying to figure out who they are and what's important to them without all of the expectations and assumptions from people around them. So when it came to choosing where to go to uni, I went with the furthest away from my hometown. So I went to uni in Dunedin, the University of Otago down the very bottom of the South Island.
0: Well, you did decide to study a Bachelor of Commerce at uni initially. So what was that experience Mm. like and where did you see your career heading at that point?
1: Well, I tried to study commerce and neuroscience together and yeah, the, right. uh, the, the commerce people said that's weird, but sure. And the neuroscience people said, absolutely not. The two things do not go together. Um, so would you, you know, can you picture yourself in a lab for years and years and years and possibly never get any results? Um, or can you picture yourself with people each and every day? Right. And I kind of went, well, if you're going to put it like that, I'll go with the people. So <laughs> Bachelor of Commerce. I loved all the subjects. So I did a really broad degree. Um, It was international business and you got to chop in and out of every single subject. So from marketing and HR to finance and accounting, um, plus a language. So it was great. And I I met some great people and just sort of tried to find myself as you do
0: at uni, figure out what you're all about, what you're going to do in life. Well, you did a language you said, and, and I think you did go off to France to do a semester abroad. And that became a bit of a turning point for you. So, what happened when you went over there?
1: Yeah, so um, I so when I had to drop the neuroscience degree, I picked up a psychology degree instead. Um, but then, through my international business studies, they were offering free flights anywhere in the world through uni, and I went, "Great, I'll go to France, thanks, and get <laughs> you know as far away from New Zealand to really find out who I am." And um, ended up in this wonderful host family and looking after these two young kids and learning French and really living, living a beautiful life in France and um, met this French guy a month before I was meant to leave and go back to New Zealand uh, and fell head over heels in love. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the whole, all the cliches, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't stop thinking about this guy. And so with a day to go, um, I cancelled my flights, I dropped my psych degree, I um, agreed that with my uni that I could finish my last semester in France and, uh, yeah, dropped the bombshell on him. It was a little shot. Got over <laughs> it. Got over it. I, I kind of went, oh, God, maybe I've completely misread this situation in the moment. But, um, yeah, he was pretty thrilled that I stayed and we've now been
0: together for 15 years. Wow. A couple of kids, a couple of weddings in in (laughs) New Zealand. Right. And so how did the two of you come to be living in Australia? Um, He was coming to Australia to do part
1: of his PhD in Sydney. And so I said, well, cool, I'm finishing my degree. I I know one person in the whole of Australia and she's in Sydney, so that's great. (laughs) Um, So jumped on a plane ahead of him, which in hindsight, I just think I must have been crazy. That was not me. I was not that impetuous, um, you know, sort of making very big life decisions on a whim. That, that was definitely not my style, but uh, I don't know, some, something in him or in us made me do it. And I ended up waiting in Sydney for five months for a guy I'd known for six months,
0: wow.
1: um, got a job in a, in a project management company, which was awesome Uh, and, yeah, kind of made a life for myself. We stayed in Sydney a couple of years and then he needed to go back to France to finish his PhD there, so we headed back to France. And um, I guess we started thinking about, well, where to from here because we're from opposite ends of the earth. We speak two different languages, although we both spoke each other's by then. You know, what do we do? And unfortunately for all the croissants in the world, um, I can't, have a career really in France I you know they they very much put you in boxes and as someone who is not from France and hasn't studied at the best universities I could never have a high-flying career so I was sort of put in the you're an English teacher box Um, and it would have been very difficult for me to do anything but um, fairly I guess low-level jobs
0: yeah okay and so you started out working in HR initially, right? So how did that become your focus and what did you enjoy about it?
1: Yeah, well, what happened was I, so the job at the project management company, it was um, an organization that was growing very, very quickly. So we went from, I think I joined them with 15 employees and they had about 50 by the end of the year. And so because of that growth, I was able to specialize. So I was the office admin person um, initially, and then I sort of found myself loving the human resources side of things. So really getting my teeth into you know, all things HR from contracts and contract negotiations to um, helping people be happy at work. And I loved seeing people thrive. I loved helping them to figure out what motivated them and where their happy place would be and sort of being that middle person that negotiator mediator between what was good for an organization and what was good for an individual and when the two clicked it was just something magical happened you know people really found their stride and they were able to do amazing things that were great for them and great for the business and and so I guess everyone was happy mm. and so yeah seeing that unfold and seeing how it could not unfold if you didn't do it right I think I'm a problem solver I wanted to get in there and and make the world a better place even back then in my own small way. Mm. And so, yeah, that, that was what I loved about HR.
0: Well, you did that for a few years, I gather, but then you did decide to move on from that sector and you were working at two at the two big children's hospitals in Sydney, at, at Westmead and in Randwick. So what prompted that shift and what did you go on to do in those roles?
1: I so before the children's hospitals, I was working. I'd, I'd kind of climbed the corporate ladder, and I'd been working in HR and and um, working for some big companies. And I struggled with some of the practices. So. I had sort of bought into the idea of values-based management where, you know, you take your corporate values and you manage to those rather than to any hard KPIs about profit or whatever. Um, but then I saw those being misused. So, um, you know, if, if you didn't like someone and you wanted them out of the business, you could pick any value in any person and say, you're not meeting, you know, you're not showing flexibility or you're not showing honesty or authenticity. They're so malleable that um, I saw some bad behaviour. Right. But also I think I, I had that aha moment that a lot of people that go from for-profit to not-for-profit have where you go, you know, I work so hard and I pour my heart and soul into this and for what purpose? Um, you know, I'm making shareholders richer but am I making the world better? And so I went and spoke to my CEO at the time and said, I, I just think I, think I need to go and I think I need to do something that matters and she had come from a health background and recommended me for a job at the children's hospital, um, which I got, which was wonderful. So I ended up managing the cardiac department uh, first at Westmead Kids and then um, across both children's hospitals. And that was an incredible job, very inspirational people. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't get much better than making sick
0: kids well. And I think, wasn't it around this time that you also embarked on an MBA? I did. So my first
1: day at the Children's Hospital's almost coincided within a week or two to the first day of my MBA. So I'd taken on this huge new role and I wanted to I wanted to study. I wanted to know more. I had this hunger for learning how to do things better. And that was awesome. Just mm-hmm. yeah, an MBA is quite incredible. I probably did it a little too early in my career. Wow. Um, but now that I have children, I can't imagine how you'd squash it into, to you know, work and kids, so it was also a good time. And I learnt, I think I learnt as much from the people in the room as I did, like my fellow MBA students, as I did from the lecturers, which was really powerful because rather than having one lecturer who has one view on things and, yes, they might have a theoretical understanding, you'd then get all of these stories from you know, this is what happens at Qantas, and this is what happens at Westpac, and this is what happens in this little startup, and this is what happened in this business that failed. And learning from all of that mm. was really
0: quite incredible. And I think when we spoke previously, you also talked about, um, I think you said what the MBA did in the end was give you confidence in your abilities. Was that something you, you were actively seeking out to push you on that next yeah, step? Yeah, it
1: definitely came out. It wasn't what I expected. I went into the MBA thinking I would learn so much that I didn't know and what I ended up learning was that I knew a lot of this and had experienced and done a lot more than I thought I had so I walked away with um, much more confidence in my own abilities and that you know it's probably an expensive way to get some confidence but (laughs) it was helpful because suddenly I didn't feel like the person who didn't know what she was talking about Um, you know I graduated in the in the top of my cohort and to have the dean sit there and go, your your abilities are quite amazing. You kind of go, okay, okay, I've got this. I can do this. Um, and then thinking, how can I apply this to areas
0: of need? How can I do the greatest good? 2017, life took another turn for you. So, you decided to escape the city with your family and move to a beautiful coastal spot in the Illawarra, just south of Sydney. And that led to a new chapter in your career. So, can you talk a bit about how that unfolded for you and what led to your current role with Green Connect? Sure.
1: So, Nico, my husband, uh, was looking at permanent roles. Uh, He's an academic and, and works in quite a niche area of geology. And he would come home every now and then going, oh, there's a job going in Texas. And I would go, no, not Texas. We're not <laughs> going to America. And then, you know, there's a job going in Durham and all these places. And then he said, there's a job going in Wollongong. And I just thought, amazing. That's that is the best, second best possible outcome after, <laughs> you know, New Zealand. Um and so yeah, we we moved to Wollongong. I we had Alice, my then two-year-old, I was pregnant with uh, Thomas and I commuted back to the children's hospital. So it was about four and a half hours a day commute on the train, Mm -hmm. um, which you get used to surprisingly quickly. You know, a lot of people commute from Wollongong. So it sounds scary, but it was actually fine. Mm. And then I was on maternity leave with Tom and I was looking for ways to be of use to the community and to use my brain. And I ended up joining Green Connect's parent company's board so, I'd heard of Green Connect, I'd fallen in love with the fact that they were tackling social and environmental issues and had a financially viable business. I just thought that that's the trifecta, that's magical. I want to be a part of that. And the day I joined the board, they announced that the board had already agreed to Green Connect demerging. And I went, no, that was the whole point of me being here. Um, but I ended up helping them demerge, which was a new experience for me. I'd been through mergers and acquisitions through other companies, but not demergers. Right, wow. And then once all of that was signed off, they came and said, would you like to be our general manager? Um, and I said, no, because I, famous last words, I thought I would be bored. And they, Jess, the GM at the time, came back again and so said, no, really, like, please, can you come and, and be our GM? And so I agreed to do that for five months and I've been there three and a bit years and I have been anything but bored. It has been <laughs> the craziest roller coaster of highs and lows. Why did you think it would be boring? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think stupidly I was looking at, you know, I'm currently running a, a department with over 100 staff and you know, a $20 million budget and all this all this stuff and then and then looked at Green Connect with its, I think maybe at the time five permanent staff and you know a one and a half million dollar budget. And I just thought, you know, that it feels like going backwards. Um, but then, you know, you, I failed to take into account, I guess, the complexities, the the meaning, the flexibility. So when you step outside a big government department, suddenly all those rules and bureaucratic walls fall away and you can do anything. Mm. Um, and so that was quite incredible to sort of go, okay, what are, what, what are the problems we're trying to solve? What do we have at our disposal to solve them? How can we do better and and build more employment and reduce waste more and get the word out there in the community about, you know, sustainable food systems? So Green Connect employs young people and former refugees because they're the groups in the Illawarra with the lowest rates of employment uh, to do environmental work. So we grow fair food on our 11-acre farm and we reduce waste um, both at festivals and then and consulting with businesses to manage their waste better um, and lately through an op shop. And then our staff will go on into labour hire um, to offer them better connections to the community so there's more jobs uh, more businesses, more industries that they can try out. And so it's this incredible, incredibly rich and complex business with essentially five different parts to it, farm, op shop, zero waste, labour hire and employment support. And every time I meet a young person who just needs needs someone to believe in them and back them and give them a go or a former refugee who has incredible tales of where they've come from and the challenges they've already overcome to be here and what they want for their children and what you know the 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 things they've gone through to make a better life for for themselves Mm. I just can't help but think okay we need to double down we need to do more because uh, what we're doing makes a difference both socially and environmentally Um, and it's it's important I think there's a lot of businesses out there. And certainly when doing my MBA, you know, we touched on ethics and reputation, but only to the extent that it benefited that business. I think in social enterprise, you really are putting social and environmental outcomes on par with, if not ahead of financial outcomes. Mm. And it's a completely different mindset and one that I think needs to be adopted more broadly and is being adopted more broadly. There's a lot of talk around social licence to operate, that communities are standing up against some of the worst actions, you know, by companies.
0: Mm. I'm definitely keen to talk more about social enterprise, but yeah, I did want to say I've been to Green Connect. We did the family farm tour with my little niece and nephew and it really was quite amazing to see this flourishing farm in what is essentially the back streets of the suburbs around Wollongong. And, yeah, certainly, you know, hearing about the philosophy and the model behind what you do and the outcomes you're achieving was really, um, yeah, pretty inspiring stuff. And I was interested to hear the tour guide mention that these types of urban farms or permaculture farms, are, you know, going to be quite critical as we address the challenges of climate change. Can you explain why that is? Mm,
1: so the United Nations came out a few years ago with a report showing that the only way we're going to feed the world and reduce our effects on on the planet in terms of climate change was to have small-scale organic farms. Agriculture is one of the largest contributors to greenhouse gases and climate change, and the whole food system is entirely broken. If you look at, you know, basically we're we're creating these huge monoculture farms which have huge chemical inputs in terms of fertilisers and pesticides And then they ship heaps of food all across the world only to arrive, you know, not very nutrient dense anymore Mm -hmm. because it's been in cold storage for a long time. There's a lot of waste along that journey. And so the whole thing is broken um, and then not affordable at, at the end. When you have small scale organic farms, suddenly you are working in with nature rather than against it. You don't need chemical inputs, so you don't need the fertilisers and pesticides. Uh, You can do all of that naturally and the food can literally be eaten in your local neighbourhood, and so it's much more affordable, it's healthier, it's got more nutrients in it, it's better for the planet in so many ways. You know, you're building ecosystems, you're not having huge transport costs. So it really is, it's bizarre because it's the farming of the past that is also the farming of the future. And Green Connect is one of the largest urban permaculture farms in the world, so we we are showing
0: that it is possible. And so, how many you know, how many people do you employ on the farm? How how big is the operation?
1: So the farm doesn't create a huge amount of employment. It's probably twelve part time jobs a year, but it's the starting point for most of our young people and former refugees. So. It's very much a safe and welcoming space. It's quite a nice space to be in. So I know when I'm there, my walking slows down and my talking slows down. I'm pretty sure my heart rate slows down. (laughs) It's just very calming and grounding. And so we say, you know, everyone's welcome. Come as you are. And if you turn up and pitch in, then we will back you. Mm. Uh, So... Our approach is very much strengths based. So we look for what someone's good at and enjoys, and we build from there. So rather than taking a deficit approach, going, you're no good at this, so we're going to focus on that thing, we look at, hey, you are amazing at planting carrots in a really nice, neat row. You know, let's try doing something that uses the bit different you know let, let, how about can you come and help me with this irrigation line or something that uses the skills that the person has mm. I think there's something beautiful that happens when you get young people and former refugees together so young people both have barriers to employment and sometimes they're the same and sometimes they're different and every person is different but young people generally bring English language and Australian culture and our former refugees um, are very hardworking and bring stories of hardship that make our young people appreciate what they've got, make all of us appreciate what we've got. Mm. So I've heard it over and over and over again from our young people going, oh, man, I thought I had a tough life, but then I met this person. Um, and far out, she's she's come through some really tough stuff, so and I kind of need to pull my head in. <laughs> and that's really, it's quite amazing, that sharing of knowledge And I guess the approach is that we're all learning from each other. So we're not, it's not this top down, I will tell you what to do, but how can we all do something together approach?
0: Well, seeing the success of the Green Connect model, you have become a passionate advocate for social enterprise and you're a founding director of the Social Enterprise Council for New South Wales and ACT, which is a peak body for the sector. So I wanted to ask you how you actually define what a social enterprise is because we hear the term bandied about a lot, but I'm not sure that people know exactly what it means. So how can you explain it and how does it operate differently perhaps to a non-profit or a a business? The formal definition is
1: that a social enterprise gets most of its revenue from trade. So you need to get more than fifty percent of your income from trades so of selling goods and services, not from donations and grants. Right, and you need to trade for a social purpose. So the the it's not just that you do a little bit of help on the side, but your entire business is trying to solve a social problem, which is fairly hard to measure. Um, but Social Traders, which is a national body, do a really good job of certifying social enterprises, so you can go through that process. Mm-hmm. The informal definition, I think our farm manager, Cal Champagne, puts it best when he says, imagine if a business and a charity had a baby. That is a social enterprise. (laughs) um, You know, you are trading as a business, but you are doing the good of a charity. And I think um, social enterprises are very special in that they are doing both. And so you're almost doubling the amount of work and complexity because you're being both. Um, But at the same time, you are taking the best of both worlds in that, you know, we are not buffeted about so much by the funding environment. So government, for example, changes what they're funding all the time and if you are reliant on government grants, then you have to constantly shift your purpose in order to fulfil what they're after. Mm. Um, And at the same time, the, the goodwill from staff and volunteers and customers um, because you're trading for a social purpose is really quite magical. So you, you're not just this transactional entity in someone's life like a Coles or a Woolworths. You are you mean something to the people in your community and you're doing it, you know. Green Connect was built by the community for the community. There is there are no egos or underhandedness or or you know profit-seeking. Unethical behaviour. It's all about how can we look after the earth, look after people, and and distribute things fairly. So permaculture principles are the principles that we've taken on: earth care, people care, fair share.
0: Well, you've been heading up the team at Green Connect for about three years now, which was a big leap from your previous work in the healthcare sector. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned or perhaps some of the biggest obstacles you've had to overcome in terms of running a social enterprise?
1: Oh, um, (laughs) where to start? I think one of the biggest obstacles I've faced is knowing my own limits and I think anyone that works in the sector has the same problem. So um, I describe running a social enterprise, as being like a human Swiss army knife, you need to have this bucket of skills, which suits me quite well, because I love all of it. Um, you know, I I sometimes refer to an experience I had where I had a meeting with the Governor General of Australia, like super important guy, you know, quite prestigious meeting. And I was sitting in the front of my car desperately trying to fix a tiny little problem on our website and so I go from, you know, tiny IT problem to big strategic (laughs) discussion with the Governor General of Australia in the space of a minute and that's my life. Um, It's all big to small, you know, this skill to that skill, trying to cobble everything together and make it all work. Mm. Um, And so when do you switch off? You know, when... the the to-do list is always three times longer than you're possibly going to get through today and you're being pulled in different directions. Um, I, like others who come into this sector, you want to do so much good and you see that with everything you do, it is helping, it is all contributing to that. So, Mm. you know, how do you say, I'm not going to do that today or I'm not going to do that at all? That's been my biggest challenge to um, call it a
0: day. Well, I wanted to ask, you know, as a leader, how do you maintain that balance in your life and work? I mean, obviously there are, you know, what you do is can have it stressful moments. And as you say, you're having to wear many hats. So how how have you found ways to maintain that sense of balance?
1: I think I'm still learning. I don't think I've quite nailed it, but having people around me that will call it out is really helpful. So my colleagues and I do that for each other where we go, hey, you know, I think you've gone a bit too hard this week why don't you take a break or you know what can I do to help you Uh, we do that a lot for each other just I see that you're really busy you seem a bit stressed how can I help today Mm. or this week or this month Um, you know my family keep me in check a three-year-old and a five-year-old don't really let you off the hook don't let you sit on your computer too long when they're around (laughs) but also as I get older and hopefully wiser I'm learning to listen to my body um, so, you know, I'll I'll get the little throat tickle that kind of goes, you're on, you know, you're on the verge of getting a cold. And if you don't slow down, you it's going to be the full-blown two days in bed cannot move cold, which has happened to me a few times in the last three years. Mm. So um, just learning where my limits are, learning when enough is enough.
0: And you do take a day with your family as well, don't you?
1: Yeah, so I work four days a week. Um, I have Thursdays off with my kids. My eldest is now in school, so it's just Tom and I, which is a really beautiful day. And I try and protect that as much as I can because he, I really notice the difference in him if I if I'm giving him my full attention or not. Mm. Um, I try to protect weekends. So sometimes stuff will come up, and that's okay. But making it the exception, not the rule, that I work on weekends. And if I need to work evenings, I make sure it's after they're in bed. So there's this family time in the evening where we all sit down and have dinner together. Um, And it's a really beautiful time for the family and one that I really protect unless there is something that is, you know, someone's literally needing my help right this second, I'll call you back after 8 o'clock. So, yeah, just finding where my limits are and trying to be better about protecting them. And I think a lot of that is my own expectations of myself so it wasn't other people trying to impinge on my weekends it was me setting myself up for failure going oh yeah yeah yeah. you know it's 6 p.m on a Friday and I'll go yeah I'll have that to you first thing Monday morning yes and then going oh (laughs) cracky that's four hours of work that I've now committed to doing over the weekend and that person probably would have been fine with midday
0: yeah I've been there myself (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you've had a number of wins during your time as GM. So what are you most proud of and what's the dream for Green Connect going forward?
1: It's funny because we have won a bunch of awards and we have really made a name for ourselves in the last few years in, in a few different circles, so funding circles, social enterprise circles. We've been more, we've talked more about what we do and that was a, a commitment we made three years ago to tell our story better and that's been great but I think the wins always come down to the individuals you know it's seeing I won't name names because I'm being given permission but you know the young man who came to us after being um after changing schools three times because of bullying his mum was in tears saying "I, I don't I can't see a future for him he was autistic is autistic um and really struggled in school, didn't have friends, um, and, and she was really worried about what would happen to him. And he came into our youth employment program and he found that he loved plants. He was really, really good at nurturing the tiniest plants, so taking seeds or seedlings and getting them to flourish enough to be put in the ground and survive. And so he, through one of our volunteers, he was recommended for a job in a nursery, and now he's been working there for two and a half years.
0: Oh, it's awesome.
1: stories like that and they happen all the time and I want to share each and every one of them because I'm always so excited where you go we made a difference in that person's life and in his mum's life and then his broader family's life and he's gonna be you know part of this community and everyone who meets him he just have has this beautiful warmth to him now he's so excited about life that um yeah those are the wins mm. those you know seeing him thrive and seeing others that's where I get the most joy from the work that we do at Green Connect. And, in, you know, in people who have stumbled across us, maybe come on a farm tour um, or come into the op shop and, you know, just been inspired to make changes in their lives. So it might be someone who's, you know, chatted to one of our former refugee staff at a festival and they've been talking about recycling and so the person really gets on the recycling bandwagon and they'll write to me. You know, I send these updates out every now and then and I get people writing back about this, these interactions that they've had with some part of Green Connect and how they've then made changes to their lives that make them more sustainable and proud of what they're doing and that really, that's special to me.
0: I think it was interesting, you know, just going back to your comment at the start about whether you thought this was the right move for you and, you know, I guess part of what you were saying when you said would it be boring is also maybe, you know, am I going to be able to have the impact that I want to have? You were talking about Mm. wanting to really make an impact and it sounds like it's probably taken you in a direction you you couldn't have even foreseen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely it has. And I do feel I I felt it in the children's hospitals. I, I could see the difference I was making. Um, and on the days when I really got bogged down in red tape because government is full of red tape, I would go and visit with families on the ward and and talk to them about how things were going and they would tell me what was working and what wasn't and I would go back to my desk with three times the amount of energy going, right, we need to make some changes. I'm going to make this happen. And I think it's the same at Green Connect. I, I meet our staff or our customers or our supporters every day and have those little interactions and hear about, what they want to do, um, what they want to be different and I work with them to make those changes and that's really exciting.
0: So we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast and you've certainly made several brave leaps in your life and career. So what would you say has been your bravest moment and how did you find the courage to go for it?
1: I think... (laughs) I mean the craziest decision I made was was dropping everything for love that was absolutely mental I can't I'm still looking back can't believe I did it and <laughs> uh and I'm delightfully happy in my marriage and and you know really glad I did it, but I just look back and think, wow that you you literally left everything you knew behind you dropped your degree you left your friends and family back in New Zealand to follow this Frenchman mm. that was quite extraordinary <laughs> um. I think, funnily enough, in terms of bravery though, it's, I've had to be, I've had to be really grounded in some of the work that we do at Green Connect and, and stand up for what we believe in. Mm. And I think, you know, one of the conversations I had with a potential funder comes to mind where they had been sort of talking about funding us with a significant amount of money and talking about it being untagged and it was really exciting but they started saying things like oh and you know then we'll put on this picnic and some of your refugees can dance for us and I ended up talking to the CEO and just saying I'm sorry I don't think this is going to work with you know (laughs) this is not okay what you're asking for is really demeaning you know, you're saying that you're going to fund us untagged, but then you're putting clauses in it like that we have to turn up to company picnics with refugees who will dance for you. It's, it's actually really not okay. If you want to talk about what Green Connect needs and how how you can support us, let's talk about that. And if you want to talk about what your organization needs and how we can deliver value back to you, let's talk about that but some of the requests coming through are just not sitting well. Mm. Um, and so that was a really scary conversation because we were talking a lot of money, right. um, but it, he, you know, he took it well. I was shaking. <sighs> I, I was going, I have to say something. We cannot continue to have these conversations, but, um, you know, what if what if we lose all this potential funding? And in the end I talked to the team and we agreed that it would be better to not get the funding than to ask our staff to do things that would feel uncomfortable for us and for them Mm. so there's been brave things like that where I've really had to take the hard road and stand up for what I and we believe in yeah and um, I think those are the moments I'm most proud of once I stop shaking (laughs) Mm.
0: and I think a lot of us find inspiration from other women too who are some of the women that you look to and who inspire you
1: so you warned me this question it was coming and then, of course the first people that come to mind are celebrities and whatnot but when I gave it more thought I realized that there's women in my life that I find the most inspiration from are the likes of um, some of our staff. So you know there's a former refugee that we work with her name is Ama she's from Togo she has a really um, sad and difficult story, and she has the biggest smile she lights up the room, she laughs often, mm-hmm. she takes whatever life is thrown at her, and she makes the best of it and she doesn't feel sorry for herself, she doesn't give in to despair she she's just the most resilient and warm person i've ever met and most of our former refugees are much like her. They just have this incredible optimism about life despite everything they've been through. So she she inspires me. Um, and then other people like um, Jess Moore, who is the CEO of Community Resources, which is the company that we are part of, um, and, and who was the general manager of Green Connection before me, she has this, this moral compass that, she always puts what is right before what is easy. She stands up for others and, and for doing the right thing and she leads in a way that is humble and gentle but strong. Um, she's, she's an incredible leader and there are others in our community just like her, you know, Susie Crick who, who was leading the Surf Rider Foundation for a long time, which was an environmental not-for-profit Um, who lives locally. locally. There's all of these incredible women who are able to identify what, what is good and what is right and who will fight for it. And not necessarily in big Greta Thunberg style ways, you know, they're not out there. Their names are not household names. They are just chipping away in their corner of the world and making the right thing happen. And I think that that's who I take inspiration from Mm. I don't need to be a Greta Thunberg I need to be a Jess Moore (laughs) you know I need to make change right here where I am um, and always put
0: the right thing before the easy thing Mm, I love that and if there's someone listening out there who might be facing a big career or life change of their own do you have any final tips for them
1: Ah oh, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I was trying to choose, you know, do I go back to New Zealand or do I stay in France? I literally, I literally wrote a pros and cons list. Oh, yes. I wrote down all of the things, you know, the, and Miko was on that list, obviously, but you know,
0: <laughs> on the I pros list, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I think if you if you really take the time to sit down and look at your options. And take into account more what you feel and what's good and right for you and where, you know, where it fits with your values. Like, my, you know, my parents' wishes and whatnot were on that list, but um, give more weight to what's right for you. Make your list. And I think any time I've done that, the decision's obvious. Mm. You know inside of you what you yes. want to do. You just sometimes need that little push to do it so if it's not a friend or a family member
0: um, a pros and cons list will usually bring out the right answer beautiful thank you so much for your time today kylie thanks jackie that was kylie flament general manager of green connect which you can find at green connect.com.au we'll put the details in our show notes if you're enjoying these conversations it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe, and we are proud to be a part of the Women's Agenda Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.